0: of people here, we are COVID safe. Welcome, please give yourselves a round of applause for being here. Uh, My name is Gerald Walsh. I am going to be taking care of the members' forum tonight. It's really important we uh, do a welcome to country tonight, of course. uh, We would like to pay our respects and acknowledge the Kaurna people, the traditional custodians whose ancestral lands we gather on. We acknowledge the deep feelings of attachment and relationship of the Kaurna people to country and we respect and value their past, present and ongoing connection to the land and cultural beliefs. A little bit of housekeeping before I introduce the gentleman to my right and indicate what's going on tonight if you do need to use the bathrooms they are that way and I can't stress this enough if you haven't checked in yet via the COVID Safe app or you've written your details down please do so. Um, I I don't really need to repeat what a crazy year 2020 has been moving into 2021 so the more we can look after one another and be safe then the more football we will see at Cooper Stadium going into 2021 because there probably was a time where we thought we may not get to this point where we can have a group of people sitting together and I don't know about you guys, but um, I think this year has been a great year of reflection of understanding what we should be grateful for and that first game on the 3rd of January get back to Cooper Stadium. You should probably all take a moment, have a look around and go how lucky we are to have live sport and fans attending as well. And this is what tonight is all about, ladies and gentlemen. You are part of an exclusive group. Uh, this is a members only function tonight, so you're in the inner sanctum and you guys have provided a handful of questions to ask the uh, key stakeholders and the key people involved in the Adelaide United Football Club because obviously last year was um, a bit of a jerk when it comes to everything that was uh, out of our control. What we did on the pitch was satisfying, but I know that there's unfinished business for the players, the staff, the coaches. There's a lot of new faces as well. We're going to find out all about that tonight. Um, First of all, a couple of thank yous. Uh, I mentioned you, the members. We have volunteers that don't just happen in A-League football, but all around Football South Australia. We have the fans, the players, the staff and the sponsors. Without without the ongoing support of our sponsors, whether it's financially or just recommitting for another year, we wouldn't be in a position as a club as we are tonight. So to Flinders University, Starfish, McDonald's, um, SA Power Networks, and you would have seen UCAN, who are the new apparel sponsors of Adelaide United, with our fantastic new playing and training and outerwear. Um, That is available at the club store now. So, well, not now. Don't go across now because it's closed. But it is available at the club store. Um, So if you do want to get kitted out and get ready for the new season, you can do that. The panel of experts and the people we are going to hear from tonight, ladies and gentlemen, can you please put your hands together for Chief Executive Officer, Mr Nathan Cosmina, our Director of Football, Mr Bruce Jitte, and our A League head coach Carl Viet. We do have some other guests in the house tonight, and that is our chairman, Pete Vanderpol, uh, Stefan Mork, our brand-new captain for Adelaide United, Ben Haller and Jordan Elsie, part of the leadership group. Uh, we also have uh, our coaching staff as well. Eugene Galakovich is here. Ross Aloisi, we welcome back to the club, and Ayrton Andrioli. Um, Ivan Karlovic is here, the head of women's football, and Phil King, general manager of the Adelaide Entertainment Centre and Cooper Stadium. Apologies from Ian Smith and our W League leadership group because they are at training at the moment. Just a a little bit more housekeeping. So I'm going to ask a few questions. We've collated some of your questions already, if you have sent them to the club, and we will get through as many as possible. I'll do that pretty quickly because I know that you have lots of questions that you want to ask. It is going to be a little bit different though because we are going to be as COVID safe as we have to be. Um, When we get to the end of uh, the, the questions and get to yours, we will have someone walking around with a microphone. Please know that we will be... Wiping that down with sanitizer and wipes So we are being as COVID safe as possible It just might take a little bit more time If you've got a loud voice, fantastic You can yell it out, that's totally fine But if you'd prefer to use the microphone uh, We can walk around There's a lot of questions to get to, especially regarding something that has happened over the past 24 hours in our football club, and those questions will be answered But before that. Um, We want to hear about the club mission, vision and values, and uh, there's no better person to tell us that than Mr Nathan Cosmina, ladies and gentlemen.
1: Thanks, Jared. And thanks, everyone, for coming tonight. We had, I think, three dates set aside for this forum and and COVID killed two of them. Third time lucky we got it off the ground. So thank you for coming along. Um, Thank you for adhering to all the COVID protocols. We had to have everyone register individually this year. QR codes are now the norm. So hopefully it was relatively seamless. We thought we'd kickstart tonight with a bit of an overview um, of the last nine months, um, more so from a club culture perspective than than the nitty-gritty of the finances or what happened on and off the field. Uh, COVID, uh, as we know, was much publicised, caused a lot of challenges for the club and the league. Um, We'll touch on some of those later in the member questions. Um, But more than anything, it actually provided us with some clean air and breathing space to, to revisit what the club means to the community. And who we are as Adelaide United, we've, we've, we've turned this slide redefining Adelaide United's culture. I'm not sure if we're necessarily redefining it, but we're revisiting it because I think it had been forgotten for a long time what it meant to be an Adelaide United stakeholder being up here in the crowd on the field. Um, and the last nine months have provided us an opportunity to, to put that in writing ask a lot of questions, speak with a lot of people and hopefully come up with a model and and a philosophy and culture that we think can hold the club in good stead moving forward. So I'll go through um, a few slides um, with a few pieces of work and outcomes. Much of it we will touch on again when we get to the questions. But if you do note anything, feel free to, to ask a question later when we start to pass around the mics. So uh, the day for us that really changed everything was 24 March. So I think many of you will probably remember 15 March when we played um, the last professional sporting game in South Australia pre-COVID on a Sunday afternoon at Cooper Stadium. 24 March, a week or so later, was when the league was officially postponed. So that's where, um, to be brutally honest, the club and the league went into damage control. We had no idea what the future looked like. Um, the broadcast deal obviously changed dramatically in the months months that followed. Um, we made some decisions that weren't easy, um, but ultimately we've now got through it and I think we're, we're in a stronger position as a club as a result, but that was really the trigger um, for revisiting what, what Adelaide United's culture means. We then embarked on three processes which, which have been um, really rewarding, I think. We, we have a lot of people at the club Um, being in the office and also um, on the field that have been there for a long time obviously Bruce has has been a player Um, our entire coaching staff um, uh, aside from it and have have played for the club Um, we've got a lot of knowledge in terms of what made this club great um, and what we need to do to to ensure it remains great in the future It was a three-part process to understanding what Adelaide United means and what direction we need to head in. We conducted a member survey, um, I think, in in the midst of COVID pretty early on. We met with past players. So Bruce and I uh, sat down with Angelo Costanzo, Marcello Carusca, and Travis Dodd. Just to get their thoughts on, on what it meant to be an Adelaide United player, what was the culture like, what was the team like, what were the fans like in those early days? Um, And thirdly, um, and this wasn't necessarily in our thinking initially, but we ended up embarking on a new head coach recruitment process. With Gurchan leaving at the end of April, um, we essentially built a whole process around how we were going to recruit the right head coach. um, And some of those attributes and findings are in these next few slides. And ultimately, I think we we knew pretty early on who the right person was. Um, He was right under our nose. And, um, you know, we couldn't be happier with the appointment we've made in Carl. So... When assessing our culture and what's been working well and what hasn't, we identified a number of problems, to be blunt, um, areas for improvement that we hadn't been performing as well as we would have liked um, and problems that we have since found what we think are the solutions for. For those that have been uh, with us in more recent years, there's been an ever-changing football philosophy and culture within the club. Now that's nothing against those individual philosophies, but we've been Spanish, we've been German, we've been Dutch, you know, when we haven't been South Australian in a long time, um, we've had do- success with all of those. You know, we've won a championship with a Spanish coach, we've won an FA Cup with a German coach, we won an FA Cup with a Dutch coach. That's not to say any of those philosophies of ways of going things about uh, going about things is wrong, but it's not our way. You know, we want we need to define what what it means to be an Adelaide United player, how we want to play, and um, what the culture is within the club. Lack of Australian and South Australian coaches. So this isn't me or Bruce or anyone else saying we love Australian coaches. This is evidence-based. Australian coaches are more likely to win the championship. 16 A-League seasons, 13 championships have been won by Australian coaches. Lipbarski in year one, Levitska in 9-10, both at Sydney FC, and then Guillermo Moore in 15-16 are the only foreign coaches that have won an A-League championship. Again, that's not to say that a foreign coach isn't the way to go. But evidence would suggest uh, that an Australian coach will, by law of averages, be more successful. For us, I think it's even even more so when we start to talk about the culture and parochialism of South Australia and Adelaide United. We have had seven permanent head coaching appointments, only two Australians prior to Carl. We had Valcanis in the interim there as well. Um, and obviously, my man was appointed twice and left twice. Um, but uh, only two of our seven, which is interesting again for a a state with such a proud footballing history and culture that so often we've looked overseas when when potentially, as evidenced by the coaching staff at the moment, I think they've been right under our nose the whole time. Limited legacy planning, um, we've been very 12-month focused in terms of how do we win the league, but what happens the year after that? Um, Bruce has been quite vocal on that in, in some of his commentary around youth football and how we need to prepare for the future. Lack of consistency in member communication. So with ever-changing head coaches, we have ever-changing dynamics around what they want to do with the media and what information they want to disclose. For us, it's the club that defines how we communicate with our members. And then we find a coach that aligns with that philosophy. In the last three months or longer, really, since the hub, hopefully you've noticed an increased presence in the media. There's more communication going out. We're being more transparent with what we say. It's something that we feel is really important Um For our members, again, being a parochial and and very strong football culture within South Australia, we need to keep you informed in terms of what's happening. Here's the solutions. Now, we haven't solved all of these yet, but this is what we're working towards. Implement a football philosophy in accordance with with the club's finder philosophy. So, we need to determine how we want to play football and the type of footballers we want to create. So, Gurchan and uh, Marco are, are good examples, completely different footballing philosophies. Both had success. We need to determine now, and we're doing that with, again, a South Australian-focused coaching group, um, who have all been at the club previously, to define what, what our football philosophy is. And we'll touch on that, that a bit later when Carl starts to speak to some of his thoughts. Foster a club and team culture based on Adelaide United's values. So we will, we've defined five values, which we'll go through here, which filter through everything we do. So they go to the players and how they define what they want to do on the park from a cultural perspective to the office and hopefully flow on to to the members and most importantly, how we communicate with you. Youth. So we'll touch on that again in more detail, but youth is always gonna be a strong focus for the club. We've got a proud history of producing Socceroos. We've got fantastic development pathways in SA. We're always going to need to complement that with interstate and overseas players, but ultimately, we always want to be promoting our own first and foremost. Manage short-term outcomes with long-term goals. So, the fact that we talk about youth doesn't mean that we're not going to try to win the league. So, we need to to couple that. it's, It's very easy to have a youth team. Anyone can go pick a youth team. You need to couple that with the right senior players that actually foster their development. Improve engagement with members, fans, media, commercial partners, and the South Australian football community, which speaks to to tonight, which which we hope to do more often. Promote the head coach as the leading ambassador for the club and football in South Australia. There's the right time and place for everyone to be hearing from administrators Um, and Bruce. We've obviously used Bruce very heavily in the media. But ultimately, I think it's the head coach that should be the ambassador for our club in the media. When the time's right and there's, there's the player recruitment discussions to be had or off-field discussions to be had, it will be Bruce or myself. But ultimately, you would have seen that Carl's had a, great, a much greater presence in the, in the media than what we've done previously with the head coaches. Foster an inclusive, family-focused club environment. So we've been uh, uh, a little bit... we've, We've lived in pillars a little bit, the club. We've had our W League program sit over here, our youth program here and our A League program here. We've kind of worked together to a certain degree, but there's never really been any integration Um, The appointment of Ed Nandrioli to a head of youth slash A-League assistant coach will hopefully bring the youth programs and A-League programs much closer together and appointing Ivan Karlovich as a head of women's football means we're able to dedicate much greater resources to our women's program to have them more more ingrained in in the day-to-day of the club. That will be evidenced on Saturday but we'll actually have our A-League and W-League teams trained together on Cooper Stadium for our fan day so hopefully everyone can get along to that. So from all this work, um, primarily, to be honest, from our member survey, we defined our mission, vision and values. So we thought who better place to provide us with that commentary than, than the members. We've got our own thoughts and uh, I don't think we actually varied much from, from what the, the members had said. I think we're all on the same page. We just hadn't documented it and more importantly, we hadn't lived it before. So we've come up with a mission vision, mission and vision statement and then a values, values that, that support that. So a quick definition of what a mission is. So essentially, it's an organisation's reason for being. Why do we exist is sort of the the perennial question that we pose. We exist for the people of South Australia as a custodian for the game of football, and we serve to foster the passion, pride and purpose that football evokes within the community. So we've been conscious there to not define our existence as purely being results orientated. I think results are a byproduct of living this but as we've seen in the past, um, results aren't the only metric that define how uh, the success of a football club. Vision: A vision statement is an aspirational statement of an ideal, idealistic emotional future of a company or group. So our ambition is to be the most engaged, respected and successful football club in Australia. So the, the example we give here is those three those three key terms, engaged, respected, and successful. So if we look at our past coaching appointments, I would suggest the most engaged the club's been in terms of with our members and community is under Gombeau. Very charismatic, very approachable, very proactive in terms of getting into the community. Respected, I would suggest there was no greater respect for any coach we've had other than Guillermo Amor. I, know I was in awe of the guy when I first met him. Um, but through language barriers and others, he wasn't the most engaged coach in terms of he, he, he took care of business on the field um, but from a media member perspective um, he wasn't that well connected. Success. So uh, the example we use for this is that that uh, uh, Marco had a more successful coaching stint in terms of win percentage than Gombau. Under Gombau our membership was at the highest level it's ever been. Um, I think that success alone does not necessarily dictate Success on the park does not necessarily dictate success off the park. Um, and that's where we need to get these three elements right um, to ensure the, the future of the club. The values. So I'll run through these relatively quickly. So ambition, a passion, desire and unwavering commitment to succeed. So ultimately we want to win. And we need to drive that culture within our, our team. It's all well and good to talk about youth and to talk about family environment but but the the team is there to win so we cannot forget that and that needs to be at the forefront of of how we operate integrity responsible take with strong moral and ethical principles again this is something that we would see uh flowing uh on and off the field within the office it's an expectation that we behave like this particularly with our corporate partners as an example um how we deal with our members customer service on the phone email all those sorts of things speak to this point but also how the, the boys play on the field Loyalty. This really speaks to our family values. Um, we see it. We need to see it more as an Adelaide United family, being the members. You, we're all together on this. So the members v the club, or A League v W League, or office v football. Um, we need to work together as a as a family to ensure success. Respect, the recognition and appreciation of our history and the experience of others. So that kind of speaks to a little bit of, I think we've forgotten the early days a little bit and we've probably lost along the way a little bit of respect of the local clubs as an example. Um, we, we meet with them or have met with them semi-regularly but that's something that we're going to do a lot more of is work with them to help them support their goals. Um, but also engaging with our past players is something that we're working on in terms of formalising um, some structure around that. Maybe not this year, but in in the coming years. Visibility, a commitment to be present in the community and honest in our communication. So again, that speaks to tonight. We don't want to be one of those clubs that goes missing when there's tough topics to address. We've got the number one um, media operator in that sense. You know, we're not James Troisi leaves. We're not ducking and hiding from the media the following day. Uh, Bruce fronted up at 11am and was on the radio this afternoon and, and, and will disclose um, some more information you know, re- regarding it tonight. But we want to be um, we want to be present in terms of you are hearing from us all the time. If you've got questions, we'll answer them. If you email the club, we'll always try to get back to you. I'll, I'll ring people, semi-regularly members that have queries. Um, we want to be um, a club that, that is committed to their members in terms of their communication. I think that's it. So. It's a bit of a background in terms of what what, uh, a piece of work that we've been doing over the last nine months. The challenge for the club now is to really live it. And I think stage one of that has been the appointment of of Carl um, and and his support staff. Um, Off the field, it will be a journey. COVID has hindered it somewhat. um, But I think we're on the right path and and hopefully you'll you'll, you'll come along with us.
0: Ladies and gentlemen, round of applause, please, for Nathan Cosmina. <laughs> Can I ask a quick question without notice about what we just saw, Nathan? Um, and ladies and gentlemen that will be available over the coming weeks as well obviously there's a lot to take in but it's really important that you are aware of what the the club is doing at the moment on and off the field the thing that stood out for me was the engaged respected and successful in division um and you were saying that the club obviously isn't uh, well football is a results based business um that's how it's perceived but do you Measure now success differently with what you've just presented to us if we have a heavily engaged and respected club That's a lot of success right there straight away before we even step foot onto the pitch
1: Yeah, it's hard to to clearly define it. I mean, I think A a good metric for for success in that instance is our average crowds and and member numbers, which have obviously been dwindling I don't think that's necessarily or entirely the, the club's fault um the live sporting market, I think we probably spoke about it last year and here, has declined in recent years. I think all, all professional sport in the country's crowds have dropped. Um, and we've also got a stadium, which you know, the term that we often use is, is beyond its useful life, and we'll talk about some of those upgrades later. But I think the real the, the metric for me is is probably membership, because if you're successful on the pitch, you should drive membership, but it's a culmination of on-field success and off-field engagement that I think takes you from eight, nine, ten thousand members to the the fifteen you know that we'd love to be at. And
0: I think that you were talking about being transparent with the members and the fans as a custodians of the club, and obviously as as members we want to be able to enjoy and bask in the success of the club, but also go through the troubling times as well and come out the other end. And we, let's address the elephant in the room right now. Let's get to it, Bruce, because that is is—it's probably the most disappointed I've heard you speak in the media in anything that you've said in the media before, and that continued on uh, this afternoon on radio. Um, when we did, we heard whispers probably leading up to this point, and there's always rumours when it comes to A-League and transfers and player movement, but then when the news did come out, and it was uh, later on last night that James Troisi was leaving the club effective immediately. Can you talk that whole process through? Obviously, don't break confidentialities, but tell the members what you can.
2: Yeah, look, I think we can be very honest and and pretty clear with that whole situation. So, post-hub, post-season the uh, finishing, we had individual meetings with all the players. Um, We were in an environment where... We didn't know when next season we were going to start. We didn't know what the distribution would be from the TV rights money, which the cash component from Fox Sports had been cut in half. And the deal was no longer a three-year uh, deal. It was back to one, finishes 30 June. We had a full roster of players. So the numbers just didn't stack up. So we took the view that, okay, some of these higher earners, they, we, we're going to have to let them go because we just can't afford to keep them. You know, um, we're not saying that this player, this player, this player, they're no good, get out. We're not kicking them out the door. We're essentially saying we actually can't afford to keep you, as as is the situation right now. Um, you know, Qantas doesn't want to stand down its pilots. Its pilots are no worse today than they were a year ago, but the planes aren't flying, the revenue's not coming in, tough decisions sort of need to be made. But we had a cordial chat. It was good. Nathan was there in terms of very understanding. This is back in September. October 5, we sold Riley. We sold Lachlan Brook. We sold... Who am I missing? Paul Izzo. Um, Nikola Milius, went to Denmark. So all of a sudden, things changed pretty quickly. Some of the higher earners were now gone. We have accrued bonus revenue, if you like, revenue that we weren't expecting so the club's position changed because the only reason James was told, you are free to speak to another club is because we can't afford to keep you come October the discussion was, we can't afford to keep you now, and we need to keep you, we don't have Riley um, you'd, you'd play number 10 under Gurchan, he played like an 8, Riley played more like the 10 um so we were very clear i spoke to him carl spoke to him on numerous occasions and it was all it was all fine it's october november all fine earlier this month there were some stories coming out and late november western sydney Wanderers sent us an email Hey, you know, Troisi's shopping himself around, but we don't want to approach him, so we thought we'd ask you guys. So we actually had a football... We have a football meeting every week, so we, we discussed in the football meeting. And we were adamant, like, no, he's got to stay. So we responded to them in writing, no, James is a required player. We'd appreciate if you didn't approach him. Yep, no worries, fine. So then as the whispers started to get a bit louder in the last few weeks... I had direct conversations with him. You know, look, you know, why are these stories coming out? Some of them are relatively accurate on some of the detail. It was pretty clear that, that, you know, the reporter was getting some decent information. So, no, no, there's nothing in it, you know. I know Carl Robinson from way back, the Wanderers coach, but there's, there's nothing in it, you know, blah, blah. So then when we got the email from his father on the weekend... Asking for a mutual termination, you can understand the the disappointment in, uh, one, the timing, two. Like, we had uh, friendlies in Sydney last week. I was on Thursday speaking to James about an article that had come out on the Tuesday last week. He's like, nah, you know, these people, they always write stuff, you know, there's nothing in it. And I know James really well. I MC'd his wedding. So, you know, I played with him in Turkey in 2008. So it's not like I'm just talking to some random player. So when he's telling me there's nothing in it, I'm like, okay, there's nothing in it. There's rumours and stories all the time. So to get the email on the weekend was extremely disappointing. Um, And, you know, that's fine. Uh, They want to mutually terminate. And we had a meeting, I think it was yesterday, uh, another football meeting about it and... We decided. Look, if you re- and you really wanted to go, it's not like huh, I want to go. You know, I've been at this club playing before, thinking like huh, I want to go. I left twice, always came back, but I left twice. <coughs> but, <laughs> but, but, you know, there, there's there's a way to leave a club. You know, the day we signed Riley, we specifically said we don't want to see you here in three years. Like we want you to leave. You know, so the, the, there's ways to do things. Um, this is certainly, in my view, not the way, hence the disappointment. But that's the story. So when he says, like, when you hear, you know, the club gave him permission to speak to other clubs, yes, that's true, that's a fact. The club also said, within three weeks of that discussion, that he was a required player. You know, so in a year where things change quickly and you have to be nimble and there's constant uncertainty... You know, there's there's going to be changes. Well, um, one more on that before I move to Carl, your
0: thoughts. Uh, I found it pretty convenient that the announcement came out and then 17 hours later he was announced as a Wanderers player, and that happened very quickly. So, from a fan and a member's point of view, this doesn't come across as something which has taken 48 hours to happen. This has been happening for a while and from what the CEO has just told us uh, about the brand values of the club that that no matter what uh, James has decided to do and follow that path in his football there is then now a clash of of values and where they align.
2: Yeah they're misaligned and that formed part of our decision to to let him go but it just adds to disappointment. I mean we have consciously made an effort, and I know we sat here last year, for, the, for those that were, that were also here last year, and we said a lot of things. And I'm assuming, because I've sat where you guys have sat before, and you hear a lot of things, and you're like, yeah, yeah, it all sounds well and good, but let's see what they actually do, actually speak loud than words. But I think through our actions in, over the last 12, 15 months since the last uh, member forum, I think no-one can argue that we haven't promoted youth, no-one can argue that we haven't tried at all costs to bring South Australians back. No one can argue that we haven't been trying to promote South Australian players. So, you know, if James was some Brazilian uh, foreigner that was, you know, only here for a short period and was going, the feeling would be very different, you know. Um, The fact that it's a South Australian born and bred, someone we really targeted to bring back it was a massive coup for us to, to, to get him back um, that adds cuts a bit deeper mate cuts yeah. a bit deeper and
0: I think it does I think you're right because you, you you know the the journey the club's been on of bringing back South Australian players and I think I don't want to speak on behalf of everybody but the opportunity to get James over the past couple of, of seasons was something which is quite exciting because he always destroyed everyone that he played against he was playing at Victory and playing for Socceroos so to have that um And then it puts us in the position where we are now, Carl. There's two weeks until the season starts. Obviously, international players aren't going to come in because of what's happening with with COVID. And we potentially have two weeks to find a replacement player. But if they're from somewhere around Australia, um, that's going to take time. It's not an easy fix. So Bruce has expressed his disappointment as as a coach. I'm sure you're feeling the same.
3: Um, Yes, most definitely. I um, had a chat with James yesterday morning. He came in and see me and... Explained his reasoning. I, I told him I was disappointed. Um, I'd had many a uh, chat with James in this pre-season and and let him know how important he was to our structure and to uh, going forward. And there was a lot of private conversations on how I wanted him to play and and that and and a lot of um, private discussions about signing players, bringing players to the club that I had with James. Um, so I was a little bit disappointed. Um, I yeah. I sort of understand where he's come from um, a little bit, but um, being an ex-player, but um, at the end of the day, I'm disappointed that it's you know two weeks um, before we start the season that it's it's taken that long for him to make that decision, I suppose. Um, yeah, because um, I don't think we can replace him. We can't find an Australian player um, to replace him, but um, it provides an opportunity for another younger player that we've got in the group that we'll promote. So, um, you know, um, yeah, it's disappointing at the moment, but it it provides an opportunity for someone else.
0: Well, uh, I I do want to talk about the the youth program in a moment. If you do see the Wanderers' announcement, ladies and gentlemen, just just have a really close-up look to see what shirt he's wearing because in the Wanderers' announcement, he's wearing an Adelaide United shirt. So if anybody's great at Photoshop and they want a job at the Western Sydney Wanderers, I'm sure you'll be a shoo-in, so good luck with that. But as you said, Carl, it provides an opportunity for... uh, a young player to step up and that's what I think personally I've loved seeing in in your coaching tenure and I think COVID's provided uh, a lot of stresses for so many people but it's also provided opportunities provided opportunities for, for young Australian players to get opportunities and now young South Australian players so Bruce I want to want to ask you first and then to, to probably all three of you like the the youth structure now it seems like it's it's stronger than it's ever been
2: yeah, look, it's something that we've focused on. Um, a big thing for me was that we need to have a full-time head of youth. Um, previously the youth team coach has been part time and whilst we have been promoting youth team players, the program was a little bit all over the place. I mean, the training was good, but there's got to be more to it than than just that. Um, I think uh, well, I don't think. I know bringing Ayrton in will make a material and significant difference to the program, the way it's set up, the organisation, the way the players are brought up. Like, for me, my dream is that one day if a player's been through the Adelaide United system, through the youth team, through the first team, and is playing in Europe or South America or wherever they might be playing, that people can recognise that they've come through Adelaide United, not just because of the way they play, but because of the way they act, you know, the way they carry themselves, the way they speak to people, the respect, you know, they follow the values that, that Nathan ran through earlier. So that's impossible to do with a part-time coach. You know, the, the, we needed to restructure that program to get the connection between the A-League and the youth team. So having Anton as head of youth and assistant A-League coach, which is the setup I would say eighty to ninety percent of other A-League clubs have is crucially important because he's at A-League training in the morning, speaking to the A-League coaches, he's in the meetings, he's seeing the trainings, and then he's executing near on exactly the same thing in the youth team. So as a youth team player, if you're the left back and you're called up to A-League training, it's not some big change of style or way of playing. You can actually be comfortable because you know what your midfielder's going to do when you get the ball because in your team, in the youth team, they make the same movement. That'd be exactly the same, but if the principles are aligned, then you're already halfway there. So that restructure was, was was critically important, not just for the development of the players, because when it's not aligned, it's always the players that suffer. You know, gurchan you sell the time. Lockie Brook's doing really well at training. But I go watch him play in the youth game and he's pressing his... Knowing, nothing like what I want him to do in an A-League game. So I can't trust him to press in an A-League game or to do the job that I need him to do in the A-League game. And Lockheed had come to me and say, I feel like I'm doing really well at training, but I'm not getting a chance. And I would explain to him, the head coach is saying you're doing really well at training. But he watched you play on the weekend and you're not doing what he would like you to do in an A-League game. You know, so it's, it, it is a bit sad to see the players suffer when the alignment's not there, but we definitely have that um, fixed going forward.
0: And then speaking of of younger players, Nathan, Bruce mentioned uh, Nicola and Paul, who's not probably on the younger side anymore. Um, Riley and Lockie, they they all go to different clubs. And I think here in Australia sometimes for for people who are probably part-time football fans, uh, don't pay too much attention to the business of football. They look at it and go, oh, no, we've lost a player. But... The fact that we can develop younger players or if they've been had a bit of experience and then spend a lot of their career here and then turn that into making something for the club, which is really important. Can you talk us through that? Because I reckon when, we, when Riley moved on, there was a group of people who would have gone, oh, no, but then a group of people going, how good is this for the club and how good is this for Riley?
1: Yeah, aside from... From the uh, financials of it, you know, sort of going to that, you know, and that can come and go with depending on the time of year and you know where they go and all that sort of thing. But I think reputationally, it's really good for the club. Um, To borrow a term from another club, uh, I think it it starts to create uh, a, 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 a public sort of expectation or persona of the club as a destination club players want to come here because they know they'll get the opportunity to develop and they'll know they'll get the opportunity to go overseas um, and all of a sudden it kind of snowballs and I'm, I'm no expert on international transfer markets but Adelaide United move on four players in a COVID environment next window when clubs are looking at Australian players and they see the success that our players have had overseas since moving and the quality of Riley and Nicola and Paul and Lockie all of a sudden like we know we can trust that program. That's a club we want to deal with. They're players that we want in our program because we know the quality of, of, of what they produce. And I think um, <clears throat> it would be remiss not to mention, I mean, the common thread with, with um, all of those players um, was that they came through our youth system and specifically under the guidance of Carl and, and also Ayrton it. At Football South Australia, I think that um, I don't want to lo- lose sight of of the work that's been done prior to to Carl's appointment here, and Michael Carter should be should be congratulated FSA for that as well. We've got a really good underpinning program in our NTC um, that we will now work even more closely with to mirror a lot of the philosophies and football principles that Bruce spoke about with respect to our youth team. We want that flowing all the way down. You know, they're not necessarily Adelaide United players, but they're on the path to becoming Adelaide United players. So, um, yeah, there's a whole, there's a financial benefit, no doubt, and it provided the club with the necessary protection through COVID. But I think the reputational um, uh, value of it um, cannot be lost.
0: Do you then, Carl, see that as uh, what Nathan just said, but then I guess your experience with, with youth players and then being able to communicate to senior players and international players and, how old, were, how old would Dom Costanzo have been when, when you were playing A League? It would have, mate, would have been three years old or something. Um,
3: <laughs> yeah, I can remember the first um, couple of years of the A League um, of Dom running around the change rooms as a little kid. He wasn't interested in soccer at the time. Um, he was more interested in getting the tape off the physio and taping himself up to look like a mummy. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I, I find i listened to an, an interview that a, a famous coach of uh, college basketball did. Um, his name's Coach K and he coaches the Duke College side. And basically, ladies and gentlemen, he's been coaching this side. For, he's in his 70s, so he's been coaching the side for about 40 years. And he got offered a job to uh, coach the Los Angeles Lakers for $40 million and he turned it down because he just wanted to connect with these younger players. And the reason I'm saying that is because the thing that stood out, Carly, said the message should never change but the way you communicate it needs to so you can still instill uh, your philosophy to players of all different ages and experience just as long as you can communicate that with a mix of extreme youth at Adelaide United you've got some international players and some senior players which are sitting over there we'll talk about in a second. Do you find that that's something that you need to do?
3: Um, Look um, I I believe it doesn't matter what level of football you play you have the same problems Um, so it's just a matter of how you deal with as you say, older players I will speak a little bit differently to to a younger player. But um I'm a quite a relaxed coach. I like the players to um, express themselves and and have be free to speak their minds as well.
0: And how have you found that over I guess last season finishing up, which was a very unique way to start um your your senior coaching career? But it was I mean, we we talk about success. It was a a great start, obviously, with what was going on behind the scenes. But now you've got um, a a team which you've been heavily involved in now moving into what we can call an almost real season. During pre-season, what's impressed you?
3: Um, Yeah, look, as you said, um, I was very impressed with the playing group, the way that they um, bought into my style in those five games in the hub um, because we didn't have a long time. Preparation into those games and the way that they changed and and the way they adapted to the way I wanted them to play was exceptional. Um, and as you said, this pre-season it's been a very different pre-season to normal pre-seasons. I've um, you know I think last pre-season we played 12 games, I think it was before we played and started the A-League season. And this year we're going to go in with five games, so it's a very different pre-season. Um, but uh, so it's going to be interesting to see how. Um, the first couple of rounds of the A League of how all the teams in the A League how they how they um, play with their fitness and and their style of play. Um, but um, yeah, we've been building on from that hub of um, my style of play, and and the players have um, have been tremendous so far in the pre-season.
0: Bruce, I love what Nathan said about Australian coaches with a success which is was right in front of us on the presentation. Um, How beneficial do you think that will be having Carl here, not only his history with Adelaide United, but the ability uh, we we probably take for granted, but it's a big issue, the communication breakdown sometimes when you're trying to communicate with players and do the other uh, activities of the club. However, having an Australian coach in Adelaide who has such a brilliant reputation with the Adelaide United Football Club, again, before we even take to the field, that is a brilliant way to connect with the team.
2: It is fantastic and it makes my job much, much easier. I don't have to educate him on the salary cap. I don't have to educate him on the other opposing teams, the players, the stadiums, um, all the sort of challenges uh, uh, we had last year. So it frees up a lot of time to do more important things. But look, Carl is a a fantastic human being. I think that's first and foremost. That's that's sort of like our, our key indicator um, once you tick that box, then then obviously he's got all his coaching credentials, and we all saw what what he can achieve um, just in that short period in the hub. So, you know, Carl makes my job much easier, and uh, the fact he's a good communicator, he's happy to do events like this. He's happy to speak to the media, as as Nathan said. Um, you know, I get rolled out quite a bit in the media, but I think over time you're going to see that changes. Carl starts to do more and more, especially as the season commences. And Carl, you bring experience and relationships into
0: your assistant coaches with Ross and Etten. what can you tell us about them that we don't know?
3: Um, Yeah, I think everyone pretty much knows Ross. Um, (laughs) um, And that's a a reason I brought Ross into my um, coaching style um, because he's very passionate. He's a winner. Um, And he develops great relationships with not just with the playing group, but um, the staff and, and the supporters as well. And that's, um, as um, Nathan said, that's a big thing for us going forward. And Ayrton, he's got a, a tremendous knowledge in football. So um, he, um, I like to pick his brain on, on football. He has a tremendous knowledge. And as you said, he, he hasn't played at Adelaide United, but he has played in the NSL for, for West Adelaide. Um, so, yeah, he's got a, a good knowledge in Australian football as well.
0: We will talk about the leadership group, very soon. Uh, Nathan, COVID, it's affected everybody. Bruce, you used the the example of the the Qantas pilots before and everybody has been affected when it comes to redundancies and pay cuts. Um, Nathan, on the club, from I guess an outsider's point of view, if we're looking at sport holistically and here in South Australia, um, if we look at the the two AFL clubs in the, the Crows and Power, the AFL was affected in a dramatic way um, into staff cuts and cost cutting. There was a moment where I thought with Adelaide United and especially the A-League, because we are quite a, very, a a smart operator when it comes to finances and there's not much to play with compared to the bigger clubs there didn't seem to be many moves that needed to be made or people needing to go through um as tough a times as those in in other codes. um can you talk from a staff and a player's point of view about how tough it was getting through what has been a weird 2020
1: yeah, we joke <coughs> that we were well prepared. We were prepared for COVID long before it hit in terms of our, our resourcing. We, we didn't have to make one person redundant um, within the office staff. Um, we, we've made some structural changes within the office, but, but, but no material um, headcount, I think, it's actually maybe gone up um, in recent months. The, the, the major challenge for us in that first window, so from 24 March, probably until the hub kicked off was really the trigger that, and I think that was or well, we started training mid-June, I think in that window, it was the uncertainty that was really the concerning aspect. And I think that was the biggest fear for the players as well. There was a lot of talk around pay cuts, and obviously the players took a significant cut um, to play in the hub. Um, And speaking with them and looking at our our finances, uh, that was obviously an issue, but it was what lays beyond that that was really the fear. You know, what happens next year? The the Fox deal at the time had been significantly reduced. There was contracts on foot. Um, COVID was there. Can we have crowds? Can we drive membership revenues? Will our corporate partners come back? Um, We've got through that now, not without, um, you know, significant challenges. I mean... Um, a lot of our staff had, had a significant period of time off, um, and it's not necessarily holiday time when you're sitting at home worrying about whether you're going to have a job when you come back, but um, the we've bounced back, I think, relatively well. I have to acknowledge the playing group and how they've conducted themselves throughout this. A lot of difficult discussions we had and and, and difficult decisions that, that were made, but um, they've been professional throughout, and... Um, I think that speaks to the culture within the team and what we spoke about earlier. The challenge now is is, is still COVID. Obviously, we've had some restrictions um, around the stadium capacity, which we released today, which was, was really, really um, exciting news that we're at 75% or 12,500. Um, but the club, the the major cuts, I think, were f- football excess. So I think the A-League had grown beyond its means in terms of the football programs were, were, in my opinion, excessive and there was a lot of spend in areas that weren't necessarily driving outcomes. So, um, And to be brutally honest, part of that is a foreign coach. It's no secret that foreign coaches earn more than, than local coaches and as the, the slides showed, it doesn't necessarily guarantee success. So we, we rebuilt... Um, our football budgets, it's something that Bruce and I were looking at daily for probably three months, just trying to make considered decisions on what's material and what what is a nice to have. And I think we've arrived at a position, and we speak to the players about this as recently as this afternoon, we've arrived at a position that we haven't compromised the the football program, being short or long-term success, but we're in a position that we're sustainable and now we need to move forward um, and hopefully get some big crowds at at the stadium um, and get members back on board. We're hopeful that today's news gets a lot of those that were maybe querying and if you haven't or you've got friends that that haven't renewed, we'd encourage you to do so because it looks like, particularly for that three January game, we'll have a really big crowd in.
0: And Bruce, you're dealing with the players directly. There could have been, I think COVID's probably brought out the best and worst in people. So there's there's that time of, of panic misunderstanding, Um, there's then understanding and just getting on with it like uh, I'm sure the players went through the motions a little bit but it seems like they went to the hub when they needed to they understood that everyone was affected by COVID and got the job done on the field and then can come back now and focus to the next season
2: Yeah look I think that considering all things considered I think the players were exemplary especially in the hub Um, but there were tough conversations I mean it's no secret they got stood down. They were just on job keeper for for months, um, with no like. If you think back to March and April, like there was no vision. You know, the, it was just flying in the fog. You know, when are we coming back? I don't know. Um, you know, our, does our contract still stand? For I don't know. Like there were a thousand questions. I didn't have an answer to twenty of them. You know, so it was it was particularly tough. I mean. I think March, April was was particularly tough Um, and the players were really good really good I mean I felt really bad for them because it wasn't that long ago I was a player and I was was thinking Jesus this was happening to me because at the end of the day they're just young men they're not they're not you know seasoned veterans who have you know been in combat or something like they're just young men with young families and mortgages and and all the same stresses that everyone else has so it it was it was a very difficult period for them but i tell you, we've got a really good group, really good culture and, and they came through with flying colours and I think that's what uh, also helped us when they, when they went to the hub. And everything seems
0: to be new. I want you to tell us about some of the new players that we are going to see before we get onto the, the leadership
2: group. So what can we look forward to seeing? Yeah, there's a number of uh, uh, new players. We've got some, some exciting young players, some players that, that the general public um, probably don't know very well. You know, there's 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 always one or two youngsters that 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 surprise people and do well. I think we'll see that this season, and people say, you know, he's come out of nowhere, you know, but actually the kid's been practicing since he was seven, you know. So there's there's people who've done done a lot of hard work to finally get the opportunity, and and obviously we have got um, Javi Lopez and and Tommy Urich who who will be here at the end of the week, early next week at at, at the latest. Um, they're quarantining in Perth because again. COVID reared its ugly head uh, about a month ago here in South Australia. So the challenges remain, but I think uh, we've got a strong squad for next next season. I don't, I, don't, I don't particularly want to talk about individual players that we've signed, but um, I think what we've put together is is, is a decent team that, that will excite you all for, for the coming season.
0: Uh, Carl, is there a standout who's going to be our first choice keeper? Because this is a, a position that we probably haven't found ourselves in before. We've, we've distributed so many keepers to different parts of Australia and different parts of the world, but um, only as recently as a few days ago, there were discussions of it. it's not decided yet or where we're at. So you and Eugene have got a pretty tough job ahead of you.
3: Um, yeah. yeah, I think um, we're pretty, we pretty much know where we're going with the number one at the moment. Um, James played both games last week in Sydney. So at the moment, he'll go into the season starting as our number one. He's um a young keeper he's i mean he's twenty one years of age so um it's exciting he's um has yeah. huge potential and again you know um it's very difficult for goalkeepers to get a, a start in the a league because um most coaches want an experienced goalkeeper they they know they aren't going to make mistakes james is going to make mistakes we know that um but uh, long term future if we get um games into a young goalkeeper, there's possibilities that he can then go on and do bigger and better things.
0: Because we have a spot spare now in the squad, is Eugene a chance of just tapping you on the shoulder and going, I'd still be the best keeper in the A-League if I played him? Have you had that chat?
3: Um, You're just looking to play up front at the moment, so... um...
0: (laughs) Let's talk about uh, the young leadership group. We've got um, a rising star in our championship year and now leading the club is Stefan Mork. Ladies and gentlemen, a round of applause, please, for our new captain, Stefan Mork. <laughs> He's alongside Jordan Elsie and Ben Halloran. Um, it's great to have a young player getting the opportunity and it's something which was earned and not just given to him. How, how did that process take place and what leadership attributes do you see in Stefan Mork?
3: Um, yeah, look, it was... Uh... You know, when I got the job, I I thought it was very important that we had a South Australian leading the club, um, you know, just to get and keep in touch with our values. And we had a discussion, um, the football department um, had a discussion, and Stefan is, um, he has exceptional leadership qualities. Um, You can see that the way he goes about himself, the way he prepares himself to play, the way he prepares himself to train, and just not that, all, all the other things that he brings to the change room and onto the pitch. So, um, yeah, that was it was a you know a discussion that we had, and we decided that Stefan was was the man. You know, we've got um, Jordan that's been at the club a long time as well that um, has um, done ext- extremely well. So um, he came into the leadership group with Stefan and and Benny. We've made him an honorary South Australian. So he's you know um, with his experience overseas and that he's he has a lot to bring to the, to the young players in, in our squad as well.
0: It is very exciting. It seems like they've all got those leadership qualities all over their certain areas of the pitch as well. So if one is unavailable to wear the armband, the other one can stand up uh, and do the job, I'm sure. Nathan, uh, before we talk women's football, because I think it's something we should celebrate here tonight with with Ivan being here, um, to get more people to the games, if we've got 75% capacity at Cooper Stadium and you can get 12,500 there... How do we make that happen? How do we go, there are 12 and a half people. I think there are going to be people coming to the games early because we can. And I think from what uh, was said at the start, we've missed football, we've missed live football and miss Adelaide United football. So from your perspective as CEO, how do we get more people through the gates?
1: Yeah, that's the $64,000 question. The, I think in the short term, as I said before, we've, we've I think, positioned ourselves really well to rebound from COVID, our engagement, um, through digital, which has been our primary means of communication with everyone, we actually haven't been able to do and we, uh, face-to-face encounters such as these. Um, you know, having three dates for this event was was a challenge. You know, just to get get 100 people in a room to talk about the club. Um, I think there'll be a rebound. The the 75% is really key. I mean, we've had just over 10,000, I think, to our last two round one games, which were previously played in October. I think good weather on the 3rd of January. Um, you know we should, we would hope that we go close to selling out at that number. The longer term question, and maybe we'll segue into to the stadium discussion because I think that plays a key role, is we've got, <clears throat> and we've said it last year and say it in all public commentary, because we've you know, done a bit of radio on, on the stadium as well, As a pure viewing experience when the weather's just right. We have the best stadium in the country. Um, uh, second to, to none. I don't think there's any even close to it in terms of um, capacity and, and fan experience. As we saw last year, um, you go to either end of the spectrum being 40 degrees at 5 o'clock on a, on a Sunday or 17 degrees. I think we had a Saturday afternoon game. I feel like they were a week apart as well. Um, it's the opposite end of the scale in terms of fan experience. I know i as a, as a um, having a young family um, at 40 degrees, I wouldn't be bringing my five-year-old son to a game. So how can we expect our members and fans to do the same? So whilst we're tracking really well, and I think in the right environment, our stadium is, is really good, um, it needs a lick of paint, to put it put it um, politely. Um The big news has obviously been the $45 million announced by state government to fund an upgrade to the facility, and I don't know if we're going to fill up to to speak about what those upgrades will actually entail. Some of the nitty-gritty of it, I think, will be of interest. That won't future-proof it for the next 50 years, and it's not a new stadium, but it will actually fix it, I think, to a degree that it becomes a much more pleasant experience for fans. a, when the weather is good, there's some upgrades that I think will make it a lot better, you know, lights and audio and the like. Um, but the shade will, will be really beneficial when we're playing in, in inclement weather. But um, I might throw it to Phil to maybe speak about some of those upgrades.
4: Sure. <laughs>
5: um, OK, so, as you said, $45 million tipped in by the... Um the state government, and we're going to tip another 8.5, being Adelaide Venue Management Corporation, who I work for. Um, What that'll look like is there's a lot of stuff. Firstly, and I think the thing that we have talked about a lot, the club and and Adelaide Venue Management, is the desire and the need to get uh, those double-headers into... um, it's no secret that the Women's World Cup in 2023 has probably driven this investment from the government. Um, There's a real desire, obviously, to host games here and there's a real desire for us from a legacy standpoint that um, we can host W League games side by side with the men. So, um, first of all... We'll be upgrading the change rooms. So originally we had four, Uh, we changed to two. We'll be going back to four change rooms. So there's, there's, and there's a lot of stuff that actually happens in there, things that we have to be able to do from a compliance issue, from a FIFA. I've learned a lot about FIFA in the last 12 months and compliance. Um, So there's a lot of stuff that we actually have to do to get compliance in there. So what you're seeing there now will change dramatically for the players and the experience in there as well. The actual, the the stuff that you will probably really notice is things like um, we'll put a roof on the eastern stand and there'll be a new hospitality section which will actually go on top of the existing um, stand there now so that'll go up higher with the roof. We'll upgrade all the um, audio visuals so you'll get uh, uh, the actual, the sound within there. Let's be honest, it's not great in there at the moment and what it should do is give us a full surround sound type experience in there. I was lucky enough this week to go up to the Convention Centre and just look at some speakers. Um, It's not my thing, but I sort of sat there with my eyes closed. It was pretty impressive, I've got to say, uh, what we're going to look at doing into there. Um, Two new video screens, so we're not sure yet whether we keep the one we've currently got and add two in. We've just got to look at how that all fits in the stadium. LED perimeter, so the perimeter now, the fencing that you've currently got in there will become uh, full LED wrap, so kind of like when you go to the Adelaide Oval and you see them hit a six or goal and it all lights up, so again, just that that visual fan experience. Um, we'll get a new playing surface, so that the surface will get ripped up. I want to see if I can get some of the grass at my house, but um, I know Nate's <laughs> lining up too. He's a bit of a grass tragic. But um, we, we've we got to bring that up. And the reason for that is it looks immaculate. If anyone went to the MPL final um, on Friday night, it is schmick at the moment. And Simon, our groundsman, has done a fantastic job of it. But the irrigation isn't up to standard. So the problem is, if you understand anything about watering it pops up in banks, so it actually we can't isolate sections. So when you actually get down onto the field and you really do look at it, there are some problem sections for us there. So we've got to address that. Um, so that will come up and, and that's not a cheap exercise to replace the field and the irrigation. Um what else there's um all, all the new yeah the lighting so the lighting will come up to FIFA standard so again that the lux levels aren't where we need them to be um the food and beverage outlets so we will actually gut every food and beverage outlet that we've got in there at the moment and we'll redo those and we'll actually build some new food and beverage outlets as well you'll probably see where you see the the food trucks and the vans on the western side when you first come into Holden Street we'll actually make that more of a permanent sort of alley in there now with food and beverage outlets so There's a lot of stuff going into it. Um, You can drop spend 53 pretty quickly, uh, I've got to be honest. But, um, yeah, look, it's going to be pretty exciting. I've got to say, the fan experience for you, and it's going to happen really quickly. Um, That's the other thing is because 2023, uh, I'm pretty nervous about that as is in terms of the timing, Um, this will happen really, really fast. So, look, there will probably be that work. We'll see it commence we're hoping some of it will start we can start immediately uh, in terms of um, just the liquor paints and whatnot. Um, but there's areas we can stage and we can try and do it so it's absolute minimal disruption to the season and, and to you as fans corporately too. where's John? He's up there? So we'll actually gut the full um, the corporate on the west. We're going to rip all that out and effectively rebuild it and, and put um, you know new walls and, and bits
0: and pieces in. That's amazing. Phil, uh, ladies and gentlemen, can you please give Phil a round of applause? That's awesome and it's exciting. And I guess uh, that leads us to 2023 and women's football. And and Nathan, before Ivan comes up, you mentioned before the different sections of Adelaide United with the the youth side, um, with the men's team and the the W League team. That's amazing, the uh, announcements that you made and bringing the club together again, not just for women's football here in South Australia, but it shows a togetherness for the club again.
1: Yeah, it's a program that has been somewhat isolated and I think that's historical more than anything. The the W League was run by Football South Australia for I think eight years, seven years maybe. In 2016, we took it back and it became a fundamental internal operation for us. Um, The... To be honest, it's improved out of sight every year since then. Now, we haven't necessarily got the results on the field. We had 2017-18 or 18-19 that we we nearly made the finals. Um, But the person that's sort of single-handedly responsible for that is Ivan Karlovich. Um, The problem has been that he has been doing all of the recruitment, all of the individual player meetings, all of the planning, all of the coach recruitment discussions, all of the venue negotiations as the head coach. So, Ivan, um, you know in some instances would spend more time in the office than we do. <laughs> the, the guy was, was doing stuff all day and then training five nights a week. Um, so, so we'd spoken to Ivan um, before COVID hit, but then COVID was obviously a good opportunity to, to look at a restructure and the best way to do it. And the, the way to do that was to appoint Ivan to sort of more of a football director's role for our women's programs. He became what's titled the head of women's football. And Adrian Stenter, who was the assistant coach, we felt the time was right. He'd been there for two years to step into the head coach role. So now, rightfully, the head coach operates purely on coaching. You know, if Carl was having to book flights for the A-League team, you know, trying to get into Geelong for round one, whilst also coaching the team, you can... You know, that's essentially... You know some of the day-to-day challenges that we were facing. So now, um, Ivan probably still spends the same time on the program, um, but we're just constantly trying to improve it, and it's actually integrated a lot more. So we, we've, you know, we're doing this training session on the on the weekend, which is, um, you know, unique. I don't know of any other clubs that done that. But you would have noticed in our communications that W League's fully integrated into it. When we launch a new kit. We launch it with our W League team as well. Um, They're they're alongside each other as opposed to the W League program being the amateur sort of um, cousin that it was for a long time. Now now it's on par and lives side by side with our A-League program.
0: Ivan, did you want to come up here, mate, and tell us a little bit about more? Ladies and gentlemen, Ivan Karlovich, please put your hands together. It's all clean. Um, <laughs> congratulations. Uh, from from the outside, it seems like, as Nathan was saying, uh, Adelaide United, the A-League side and the W-League side, probably the only thing they had in common was the word league at the end of it. But now the fact that um, in the messaging, as you said, because it was amazing in talking about new merchandise, talking about the, the fan day, this Saturday... The club is back together in the way that it should be, and you've been so passionate in in women's football. So, what does this mean for you and the opportunities it presents to the W League side, but just women's football in general? Yeah,
6: look, I think I broke it with the sanitizer. (laughs) Um, Obviously, we've discussed you know the Women's World Cup and and the women's game has 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 evolved immensely over the last few years. We mentioned earlier that as a club, we've started to look beyond a twelve month period. And, and Nathan mentioned earlier that uh, you know this is something that we've been discussing for for you know the last couple of years, and, and felt the time was was right um, in order for me to to evolve into a, a slightly different role, um, and allow the coach of the, the women's side to, to focus their full time and effort in, in coaching the side, um, and allow me to continue to to make changes and, and work with. Nathan and, and Bruce to, to continue to evolve the program um, to make us more professional, um, to align us with with the A-League program and I think we're, we're t- certainly taking the right steps. This is going to be a time now in 2023 where uh,
0: the Matildas uh, are in the spotlight deservedly so and have probably been in more of the spotlight than the Socceroos over the past half decade which is well deserved. But can the players see the opportunity now of... We saw earlier in 2020 the, the Women's World Cup in cricket, what that did for the growth of the game. So now to hopefully have a, a game or a couple in Adelaide, but to have the best players in women's football here in Australia, um, people then, hopefully that translates to people coming to watch the w League games.
6: Yeah. Look, um, over over my last few years here with the club, um, what generally was the case um, was a, an MPL season would finish, and, and the girls would be happy to to sign for Lady United and and spend the three months of summer um, playing for Lady United, and for them that was. Uh, an achievement um, whereas you have discussions with the players now um, and their goals are set a lot higher um, their primary focus is is the w league and looking to to progress into overseas clubs and, and overseas leagues um, because the level has, has grown so much and and the the media around and and you see the leagues around the world the the english league now and, and the players and 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 the money that they're spending now too is uh, is quite extraordinary
0: Uh, A couple more questions before we hand it over to you guys. Um, Bruce, because you are a a heavy hitter amongst all all areas of society, um, this season we go into 2021 without Hyundai at the front of A-League, without a major partner and with a, a broadcast deal which is there for the moment. This is a question without notice. This, the state of the game at the moment is it as dire as we probably thought, leading into the back and forth about the television rights of relying on that to really help sustain the game.
2: I think it's tricky. I think it's. Um, I think the only way from here is up. I was. I was. I was in Sydney last week. I, I went to FFA. Spoke to the real decision makers, the real heavy hitters there, and. The consensus was, you know, we've restructured, we've reset and the only way is up for the sport. Obviously, with the Women's World Cup coming and the strength in the grassroots, that's clear. Um, But with the professional leagues, they're very confident on the next TV deal, whether that's with Fox or a streaming service or a mix. um, No one's sure yet, but they're very confident on, on the next TV deal and they're very confident that Now, with the unbundling, so the the FFA won't run the A-League anymore. The A-League will be its own, you know, leagues, co, and, and, and the FFA will just take care of the grassroots. There was a lot of confidence in that office that it's onwards and upwards from here.
0: Just before we let you go, Bruce, uh, before I'm handing you over to all of the members, uh, I think we've all we all look back on this year and go, what did we learn? Watching the the hub life of the of the A League, it was fascinating because I think that's some of the best football that we've seen in the A League for a while. Young Australian players fighting for positions. Um, It was in winter, so that's been discussed as well. Did you look at that and go, it's it's quite interesting and potentially something that can be adapted to a business model or the way that uh, recruiters uh, look at football going forward? Is that playing in winter? playing in winter, but also focusing more on the Australian players too?
2: Yeah, certainly. I think we've been doing that. We, 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 we were COVID-proofing our squad prior to that, unbeknown to us. Um, you know, we had a focus on not just Australians, but, but, but South Australians and, and younger players. A lot of clubs now are pivoting to try and do the same thing. But um, I think to be sustainable, like the A-League, is not the Premier League. Never will be. You know, probably shouldn't aim to be. Uh, in my view, we play a part in what is a global ecosystem and a global market called football. It's a massive market. We are a small player. So if you want a sustainable club, then you need to be able to develop good players that can be sold overseas, have a strong membership and fan base, because without you guys, we don't exist, but you also need to do that other stuff. You cannot go around and try to compete with the MLS, try to compete with Asia. You, you know, you just don't have the money to, to, to compete on that front. So for me, it's a no-brainer. If it's good enough for Ajax to be a development club, then it's good enough for us to be a development club. We shouldn't pretend to try and be anything different. You know, Ajax might sell players to Real Madrid for 50 million. But if we can sell players for one, two, three, four, or five million, then I think we're we're on a very good path and certainly on a sustainable path.
0: Just finally, Carl uh, Nathan mentioned earlier. We've had a Spanish style of football, a German style, a Dutch style, all in the space of about five years. Your style of football. What are we going to see going into 2021?
3: Um, yeah, I think we we got a little bit of a taste of it in the hub. Um, it's yeah. It's um, it's developing. It, it will keep changing my um, philosophy. It's just not you know today. It's this, and I'll keep developing it as I as I move along. And will, a lot of it will depend on the playing group that we have at the time. Um, I have to work out the best um, playing style for the players that we have at the time to get us the the best results that we can get. And just finally. It- do you have a measure of
0: success going into this season with with goals and targets that you want to achieve that you can share with us?
3: Um, look, um, you know, I'm sure the playing group and especially the coaching staff, we we want to win every every game that we play in, um, and that's our target is to um, you know finish the season on top. Um, that's what we have to aim for, and that's what we challenge the players for every day. That they come and prepare themselves and be ready to to be their best every every time they train and give their best when they play. And that's all we can ask from the players to give their best effort. And and if we're good enough, we'll, you know, we'll finish on top.
0: Thank you very much, guys. Because it was the the members who actually put the majority of these questions forward. So I think the the guys answered them brilliantly. And now. We are going to hand it over to you. Um, as I said, it is going to take a little bit of time because Marius is going to walk around with a microphone and some sanitizer. He's being very COVID safe. So if you do have a question, if it wasn't uh, addressed, just put your hand up and then Marius is going to come around and uh, we'll get to as many people as possible. Um, we do have a, a little bit of time. So Marius, did you just want to grab, uh, I might grab you might for grab your mic. You can direct your question at anybody as well, ladies and gentlemen.
7: Just on the youth players, which has been fantastic, just one question was the player Gamulka. During the hub, he basically held a place in the side. It just be disappointing that we lost him in the off-season. What's the background to that?
2: He got sold to City Football Group Dream. Come to City Football Group, you know, we've got fifteen clubs around the world, and we're gonna develop you here and then we're gonna we're gonna sell you off. So he believed that story. My message to him was speak to Stefan, he went there. <laughs> speak to Bruce Kamel. He went from here to there. You know, there's 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 a host I personally thought he was better suited staying here, but he believed the Grass is greener on the other side, and time will tell. Hopefully, it does well. I mean, it'd be a really good story if he, it if he did do well, but time will tell. Is that,
0: Bruce, is that your uh, polite way of saying that the city group sold him a dream of playing for the city group and not necessarily Melbourne City?
2: No, no. I think, you know, the whole idea and, and their whole business model, which is actually a really good one, um, is that once you join the city group, you don't have to leave. If they've got teams at different levels all around the world, you can join the City Football Group and be in the City Football Group for life and have a phenomenal career. I mean, it was fantastic for Aaron Moy. I don't don't say it's not possible. Um, And if he has an Aaron Moy type story, it would be fantastic. I'm genuine about that. But I think personally, he would have been better suited staying here.
0: Okay. Thank you for your question.
8: Howdy, guys. Uh, First of all, I want to make a bit of a statement. So, being part of the Red Army as the Secretary, uh, I want to thank the club for the engagement that we've had so far. Um, This year has really uh, stepped up a notch. Um, Having Bruce uh, come to the grand final replay was exceptional. Um, And by all means, we're absolutely uh, enjoying... actual connection back with the club and it's been something that we felt has been missing for a long time. So big kudos to all of you. Um, Being a part of the local uh, football league, um, I see a lot of potential there. Obviously, uh, Carl's seen it as well. What I just want to know is going forward with the State League 2, State League 1, NPL, what are you guys looking at doing to sort of uh, develop yourselves as an image to the local, uh, I guess, uh, football SA and providing that opportunity for players going, This is where I want to be
1: when I grow up. Um, yeah, that speaks to our engagement with local clubs. Um, we've been somewhat, again, we probably had the discussion here last year, but we were somewhat combative with them. Um, Not in a malicious sense, I don't think a lot of the times, but our relationship hasn't been strong. Um, uh, Coupled with that is the connection through to the NTC and and high high performance programs that Football SA run. Whilst we've been the beneficiary of, of a lot of good players having come through that, also a lot of good players have left because they didn't see themselves as a future Adelaide United player. So. Um, first and foremost, we need to create that culture and implement sort of some of our ideas and, and expectations around um, what it means to be an Adelaide United player into to the to the playing groups, families um, that, that participate in, in the elite programs. With the clubs, I think it's about building relationships and be, being present. Um, it is 297 clubs as of last year. I don't know if that's changed in South Australia. It's near on impossible for us to have a player appearance at every one you know so we're not going to see all these these kids all the time and have them aspirational to, to play but we've got a 15,000 or 16,500 seat stadium and 30,000 registered players it's quite easy to fit them all in there over a couple of games so so we're working with the clubs um, sort of covid postponed some of it but on you know basic stuff like ticket initiatives, we, we, you know to get them in. We need them to taste the game, but they also need to come and feel as though they're connected with the club. So that speaks to our media strategy and, and you know, digital media is obviously much much or um, very important with younger audiences. Um, we need to, to continue continue to find ways to connect with them, and I think having a South Australian coach, a South Australian captain. Um, you know, Stefan and Jordan are both from local clubs. The majority of our players have come from local clubs. Um, we, we need to respect that history a little bit more so that the clubs look at us and actually, and many do, but see it as a badge of honour to have a player come to Adelaide United. But based on sort of some, some past relationships, it's not always the case.
4: Hey, Carl, it's uh, to you, of course, and uh, first of all, I'd like to congratulate you on uh, the great appointment, and uh, you deserve it, and uh, from me personally, uh, I'm probably a die-hard fan. I happened to see you scoring the first goal in the A-League, and that was against Brisbane Line, I guess. Uh, yes, and... Mark sorry? That was Mark White. That's right, yeah, and... Uh, uh, th- that was at the uh, Stadium. And uh, can you just take us through that? Because you were a lot younger and and that goal was a fantastic goal. i <laughs> <laughs> you I don't know if I was a lot younger. I was, oh, well, um, that was 11, 12, 14 years. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
3: But was <laughs> but that I was a, still a, quite old it, then.
4: But would that would have to be one of the goals like uh, uh, John Aloisi scored uh, you know, to take us to the World Cup. But that was one of the first goal for you or you know, like... Yeah, look, it was
3: the beginning of the club, um that night is um I'll always remember that night. It was a, a fantastic night and it was um how the club started. It was um bringing the community together, bringing all the clubs together and and that's the path that um the club want the back where we want to go back to. Um getting that um that first season of Mark 1 the um having all the supporters there from the local clubs come in and that um it was tremendous that first year and then just finally from um radio FM,
4: adelaide we've got three of us peter myself and uh, uh, graham um we do a sports show so thank you bruce early in a uh, few months ago we did a fantastic interview with yourself and uh, we had a lot of success through that and uh is there a possibility that we can give you guys 10 minutes at least every week, or 15 minutes, to come and share your experience and uh, promote this, the club, if possible?
3: Yeah, there's no problem, Marius. He's the head of our. Um, is that is that? No, I like Marius, what you him. Marius it's very there. courageous. Um, he's, <laughs> the, he's the man that um, organises all the all the media and um, terrific. As I said to Marius, I. I'm more than happy to do every media thing that we we have to do. Um, Thank you and good luck for the open Thank you.
0: That's a big gig, 15 minutes every week. That is a massive commitment. <laughs> Just saying. Uh, Bruce might be able to do it as well, I think. But that's good. I like
7: that. Thanks. <laughs> My question is actually to Bruce. And, uh, could you perhaps to the audience, and especially us here, give us a bit better explanation of how the uh, structure of the new A-League in relation to the FFA works? Are you now a direct member of that new structure,
2: or how does it work as far as Adelaide United is concerned? That's above my pay grade. Pete van chairman's at the at the back of the room. I think it's a question for him after the forum. I just work here.
0: <laughs> thank you for your questions, guys. Uh, what, what frequency can we listen to on the radio? Okay, thank you. 103.1 FM, ladies and gentlemen.
7: Uh, Bruce Mark Jones. Um, James Troisi. I thought that unless he's got a release clause in his contract then his um, contract is binding. Can you comment on that for a moment? Then I've got something else to say.
2: Yeah, his contract is binding. But, again, we're not here to chain people to the fence and force them to stay. Um, If a player really doesn't want to be at a club, I think it's near on impossible. Technically, you can stop them from leaving. But then you end up paying money to someone who's not committed to the cause, I did economics at uni and my uh, 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 understanding is allocate your resources where they're best utilised. We're better off taking that money and spending it elsewhere for someone who's going to give us greater output because you only play your best football when you're happy.
7: um, Opinions you can argue with, facts do not lie. In the last two championships, Sydney, they've had Adam LaFondra, who's got 20-odd goals, and the the runner-up last year, Jamie McLaren. Uh, Carl, bringing in Tommy Roddick, what are your expectations? Is he coming here carrying an injury? Is he here for the season? Tell us about him. Is that a player
0: announcement? Because that is massive. Yeah. If Tommy Robb can <laughs> join us, I <laughs> think so you mean uh, Tommy Urich.
7: Not, yeah, I, Tommy. I, Uri. Tommy I, cousin, Tommy Urich. Yeah, I got yeah. so excited and I was
4: well, out of You got, hey, got the exclusive.
7: <laughs> Bruce, now we got 700000 for for, yeah. <laughs> for
3: midfield. Sign both the buggers. <laughs> <laughs> now, look tommy um as you said it was um it's clear if you want to win the championship, you need a striker that's going to score you fifteen to twenty goals a season and that's clear and when um I was appointed I sat down with bruce and w- where we needed to strengthen the squad, and we needed uh, to find a striker that was going to score us fifteen to twenty goals and we believe Tommy can do that um he's fit he's um he was playing up until I think four or five weeks ago at his club in, in Bulgaria. So um, we know he's, he's fit. Yes, he hasn't trained for a few weeks now, but um, we expect him to hit the ground running and we expect him to um, not just score goals for us. Uh, he's a creative player as well. So he'll bring goals to the other players that are playing um, in our team. As um, as Marius is taking the
0: microphone over there, does it also help the fact that uh, Tommy's played here before? So outside of football, he's, he understands the environment, understands places to go for dinner and things like that. So actually, off the
3: pitch, you have a bit more. Um, you're a bit more settled. Yeah, most definitely. That was um, you know, I suppose the e- easier part of selling the club to him because he's been here before and he knows how um, wonderful city Adelaide is to live in. So. Um, we didn't have to sell the city to him. He already knew the city. Um, we just had to um, explain to him that we want success and we want him to have success, um, and we want because we want him to get back into the Socceroos. And it's um, and that's when I um, had the talk to him about explaining the way that I wanted to play and it suits the way that he plays. So um, yeah, I'm really looking forward to working with Tommy and hopefully he can get here and um, as I said hit the ground running, start scoring goals from round one. Uh, Question for Bruce. Um, As Treyese was a
4: required player, was he offered more money to stay?
2: No. (laughs) Because if you're in the middle of your contract, actually, the longer your contract goes the less valuable you are because if if, if you're another club who's going to purchase a player or whatever, if they've got five years left on their contract, you're going to pay premium because you need them to get out of that contract. If they've got six months left on their contract, then you're just going to wait because in six months' time you can pick them up for free. So uh, like that, that wasn't even a discussion because the issue wasn't I don't feel like I'm getting paid enough. If you pay me more, I'd be more happy to stay. So uh, that that's not the solution to to the issue of him wanting to to leave.
0: Got a couple left, yeah.
9: I'm not sure if this is best served for Nathan or Bruce, but uh, when it comes to making big signings, and I think Javi Lopez was a very big signing and you sh- you guys should be applauded for that. Um, I think it kind of got swept under the rug with Uich being announced the next day, but uh, that's a massive signing. And I'm interested in what actually goes into the process of, first of all, selling the city and furthermore, sort of educating these guys who let's face it, outside of the Spanish revolution that we had here, it's unlikely a La Liga captain's going to know anything about Adelaide United. What goes into informing them about the culture and history of the club? Are they shown footage of Pablo's winner in 2016? Are they shown um, you know, a picture of Henley Beach Square and told they could have a penthouse there overlooking it? A- <laughs> what, what actually goes into the
2: process of, of
9: bringing a big name
2: here? Well, with Harvey Lopez, it was easy. I just said, call Isaias. Actually, It was A.S. who called me and actually um, said he'd been speaking to Harvey. They've been French since, since um, they, were, they were kids. Um, they used to play together. Um, and I don't know exactly the conversation that they had, but uh, it was something along the lines of, you know, I'm looking for a new adventure. And Isaiah said, well, there's this club in Australia, I know, that's, you know, it's in a fantastic city, in a fantastic place, it's COVID safe, Um, and I'm good mate to the football director there, you should uh, give him a call. And then Isa called me, I remember, I was pulling up into my house, it was like 7.30, I just got home, and he's like, there's a player, he's really good, he should never actually come to the A-League. But circumstances are such (laughs) that he's actually willing to come to the A-League. I said, who's the player? It was captain of Espanyol. I'm like, mate, we can't afford him. He's like, nah. he actually, he actually doesn't care about money. You know, he just wants to, to try something new. You know, he's experienced, is a bit older. Um, you know, he he wants to come and uh, check out Adelaide. So I'll just give you his number and give him a call, have a chat. I said, OK. I thought, well, I'll have a chat to him. it would be hard to sell. But he said, had done it. It was the easiest signing I'd made this whole off season I don't know how long he still was talking to him but um, he he definitely sold him on uh, on, on coming here and, and Harvey's been really enthusiastic uh, uh, ever since, you know, he's in quarantine we're texting all the time, can't wait to get to training, we got him a, a bike and some uh, medicine balls and therabands and stuff so we can do a bit of exercise while while he's in his quarantine hotel he's there with his wife and two kids he's saying it's getting a bit tough now but, um, but you know, the, the, the ending is near. The light's at the end of the tunnel. That was one of the other announcements
0: that you didn't make, that Isaias is now Spanish director of football for Adelaide United. <laughs> <laughs> what a great man to work for the club as well.
7: Thanks, Jared. Uh, directed at Phil, um, as the management of the stadium, and possibly to Nathan, um, and, and to a lesser degree, Bruce, um, the game atmosphere at, at Highmarsh is unique. Um, over the years, the FFA and, uh, and the clubs have been sold on safe smoke, how there is a, uh, an opportunity. They're used in the, in the American um, Major League Soccer. Uh, it's not illegal, it's not flares, it is a safe smoke option. That creates atmosphere for our clubs, with the the possibility of broadcast changing, the broadcaster changing. If we can create an atmosphere unique to High Marsh and unique to for uh, for TV, um, that twelve and a half thousand that. Um, um, we're allowed to have uh, come January, um, you know, we're going to be selling out every every week. I don't know whether it is the club's responsibility through the FFA or the entertainment management who owns the stadium
1: to allow it to happen. I don't know if you've got any spare flares set in your office so we can borrow. But the, um, so... I, I used to be against safe smoke. I, I thought when, when flares were a big issue for the league or publicly you had active groups standing down because of you way know, they were treated we, we, we had a few issues not a lot here but um, mainly Wanderers supporters um, ironically that would, would uh, you know let off the odd flare. I can't recall the last one. it's been a couple of years since we've had them. I think that that kind of public um, um, fear of active support, uh, and flares in particular has, has weighed and what sold me on safe smoke was the FA Cup final last year that's the first time I think we'd had it at a game at Coopers I'm like, this is actually quite good now I don't think it's going to sell out a stadium but it's one of those one percenters that can add to the atmosphere of a venue um, and uh, uh, particularly with sort of young kids and they go on a big bash and they're at Adelaide over where there's LED everywhere you look and stadium speakers that ring through your bones. Um, <clears throat> those sorts of things, I think, are now um, somewhat of an expectation for the sort of modern fan experience. So uh, the short answer is we haven't haven't looked at it specifically. Um, I think we might have asked the question last year just in sort of quiet, and you've got to go through a bunch of, licensing regulations to do it i don't know um if there's more to it than that but they're the sorts of things that i'd like to see um at the stadium uh, in terms of investigator. it may not be as life-changing as as we think but it, it could add to the atmosphere
0: we've got about uh 10 more minutes ladies and gentlemen so if you do think of anything uh, we will uh, we'll come to you in next sir
10: um i just have a question that's probably best directed to the chairman, but maybe Nathan might have some insight into uh, into the answer. But um, I've been following the club for a long time, and I know it's been in existence for 17 years, but um, there doesn't seem to be any plan, and correct me if I'm wrong here, to build the asset base of the club off the field to perhaps have additional revenue streams, um, maybe club rooms. I understand the stadium situation... Is constantly changing. There was, there's always news in, in the media about you know potential new stadiums. Now we've got the upgrade to Hindmarsh. Um, I, I look at SANFL clubs, for example, that have got you know the Redlegs clubs, for example, and 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 other um, uh, venues where they can um, where people and the fans in general can go to uh, and and spend money, and the club can use that as a as, as, a, as a revenue stream. Do we have any sort of plans like that? Is the club looking to address that at some stage?
1: Um, uh, not, not, no, is the is the short answer. I think there's a there's a few parts to that. I think the the stadium in its current format does not create a precinct environment where people want to either go beforehand or stay after around a match day. Um, I'm, I... I to be perfectly honest, I'm not a massive supporter of club venues. I think it's very easy to easy to become addicted to gaming revenues. Um, I, I wouldn't want Adelaide United for the reasons we just spoke about in relation to our values to be to be you know, beholden to, to to revenues from pokie machines. Um, not necessarily that they, obviously, are a, a must-have with a licensed venue, but generally they're associated in S A N F L sense as an example. In terms of other infrastructure, that's sort of a separate question. What we haven't, and I was speaking to someone earlier about what we are planning on um, in terms of redevelopment or or further investment with with government support is is our training base out at Playford. Um, For those that have been there, it's a really good venue. uh, there's been discussion it's too far away I mean we'd all like to be you know training in the CBD the, rea- the reality is that that's not going to happen um, with a north-south um, connector I think the the trip to playford becomes has become much more palatable for everyone and it's a it's a, a four and a half pitch venue with all pitches, pitches like a, a bowling green um, that has real potential to become a, a home for a, 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 a true home of football. Our, our women's team are training at, at the uni grounds at the moment. Our youth team is trained at the parks. We've just moved to Playford. Um, we lack that and that needs some infrastructure and spend around change rooms in the first instance. I don't think there'll be scope to do more than that, but I'd like to see, and I don't know, I don't think it's necessarily in this round of spending, but I'd like to see the stadium become that home in terms of a precinct that people are there in the afternoon, you know, um, they're there after a game, you know, the, as opposed to one of the big challenges we have is that we're 6.30 kickoff this year. By the way, we need to really emphasize that is that 70% of the crowd will come at 6.25 um, and they miss the first 10 minutes and, you know, um, because they're either at the pub or whatever else. So so we need to, and that's where the stadium upgrades will help. It will become a, a happier place to get to earlier and have a drink or the kids play in family park, whatever it might be. We need to to create an environment where we're not asking people to come early. They've actually got a reason to come early. Um, So it's sort of a long-winded sideways response, but um, that's my thoughts on it.
9: I, um, just with um, our A-League squad, pretty much solidified by now. Maybe one more player to replace James. I was just thinking about the W-League squad. Obviously, same challenges with COVID. It might be a bit harder to bring any international women's players in. I know we've got the um, local women that have played in the NPOSA and the W-League side before, but do we have any potential additions, any signings to expect? That's my question.
6: Um, I think, as a club, um, in years gone by, we've been uh, very slow in in terms of getting our signings out to the to the media. Whereas I think this year, we're probably at the forefront um, within the W League environment, and and in terms of the way we've announced our signings, um, Sydney FC I think announced sixteen players in one media release. Whereas I think every single player that has signed for the club this year has has been given the opportunity to sign um, a contract with some photos and. and you know, video shots. Um, We have announced um, the number off the top of my head, but we probably about 14 players. Um, We we do have a couple international players that we're we're looking to announce in the next uh, week. Um, We signed uh, another local player today that's going to be announced, um, you know, over the coming days. So we're looking to fill that quota of international players. Some of those might be already Within the country, um, so I think from uh, from that point of view, we've we've certainly um, pushed the boundaries um, because, like you mentioned, the, the COVID situation has made it a lot more challenging this year to bring players um, from overseas. Um, some clubs uh, have chose not to. Um, we we believe that um, with a young playing group, um, we don't have a lot of experienced local players, that uh, bringing in experienced players from overseas will help the development of of our local players here also.
0: Got about time for two more questions, ladies and gentlemen, if uh, we do have some. Um, Hindmarsh Stadium. Um, One year ago, when we were at the Members' Forum last year, we were speaking about it sort of coming to the end of its lifespan. Um, The Where do the current sort of uh, upgrades, where does Hindmarsh um, look in in the long term now? Um, Because we were, you know, a new stadium was potentially on the agenda and now in the short term it's not. Um, What do these sort of upgrades mean for the lifespan of Hindmarsh Stadium? And and also were um, an increase in capacity. Was it ever sort of discussed?
5: So lifespan. um, I think it probably gives us another 15 years there. That's just my personal opinion. Um, the new stadium in the city is effectively off the cards. Um, I don't think... And I don't think that's in fairness to the government. I think they've done a really good job with finding the money to do the upgrades. It's a pretty difficult time to be a government at the moment, let's be honest, in terms of um, what the last eight, nine months um, has happened and represented within the state and just the country itself. So, you know, they should be applauded for that whether you what side of politics you sit on regardless i think they've done a great job um i look i think that um for me it's pretty exciting i think just to get the money and, and put it into there again it, really it's driven around um the experience too so to the point before i think that um where we are in terms of capacity you, you don't need a bigger stadium Like, the reality is at 16,400 seats, um, that's the sweet spot for football at the moment for Adelaide United. If we can get that figure uh, week in, week out... Uh, he and I will be ecstatic. And and the experience that you're looking for, you're talking about, again, tell two, three, four, five people to come along. That's where you're going to get the experience from. I've worked at some big stadiums. I, I used to work at Suncorp Stadium in Brisbane. I worked at Marvel Stadium in Melbourne. I've worked at some really big venues. I, I can hand on heart, and I've said this to FIFA, and I was pretty uh, impassioned when I spoke to FIFA about, I truly believe that the atmosphere at uh, Coopers, Hindmarsh, whatever you want to call it, I believe it to be the best in the league. I think I said to you last year, I think Bank West is the best stadium for what it is, but I think the the, the atmosphere in there at, at a full capacity is incredible. And if they bring games here for the Women's World Cup, I've guaranteed them that I believe it will be the best experience that people have when they come to South Australia. They'll talk about it. When they travel nationally, they'll say, Jesus, how good was Hindmarsh Stadium? So I think that some of that responsibility, these guys can do whatever, and Carl can get a team winning, and Bruce can re- recruit players, and Nathan can change the, the game day experience. But it's as much back on you guys, I think, as members, to help encourage other people to come because you need that stadium full. Um, There's no other stadium in the country that has a standing capacity like you do. You know, you can't stand in those terraces and cheer. And to be honest, I enjoy standing and listening to some of the the songs and the chants. And I have a a pretty, you know, bit of a laugh and a smile. And I think it's a great experience in there. So, again, some of that has to be back on yourselves to help us fill that place.
0: Maris, we've got, there's a lady over there who has had her hand up for a little while.
4: Thank you. it's just a quick request. Um, when you upgrade the stadium, could you change the clock so it actually goes into extra time rather than finishing at 45 minutes or 90 minutes? Because those few minutes last forever.
1: <laughs> I, don't think, I don't think you're allowed to. Um, you are. We, we'll let, let, let take that on notice and um, we'll ask the question. But I like that. That you don't know. You're yelling at the no, referee. You know <laughs>
9: um,
1: <all that. clears throat> I think that's that's something that's unique to our game. That um, you know, you don't have a countdown. It's not. You know. Doesn't
4: happen in the Premier League.
1: Okay, <laughs> we'll have a we'll have a look at it. Um, Thank you. Just on the stadium capacity stuff. Just my views, which which um, we spoke about a lot. So we've been speaking about a stadium for probably at least 18 months. Um, be it the a new stadium or the existing. My that was my, probably was my number one um, request for Cooper's is that the you don't don't um, <clears throat> redevelop the soul out of it the it doesn't need in my opinion more than 16 and a half the precinct cannot support more than 16 and a half people one in terms of building it two in terms of access and parking and all that you know everything that goes with getting to a game um, <clears throat> so I think that the my strong request when looking at it was that the capacity doesn't change because there were models that have a capacity going up and with the new roof going on it doesn't actually increase the capacity but what Phil speaks about um, in terms of the viewing and fan experience being the best in the league part of that is because it's actually not FIFA compliant the fences is too close to the pitch you know, um, if you start to remove some of that and make it more sterile in terms of, like, many other venues, I think it loses what makes it special. So there's a lot of things that... Um, it's got a lot of shortcomings, but we're sort of conscious that this is an upgrade that protects the integrity and history of the place, so it still is as good to go to on match day. have
0: got time for one more. So, Marius, you can... Uh, thank you very much for sanitising that. It's been great, ladies and gentlemen, the microphone, just a, man. Just
9: a quick question... Uh, we all know that Adelaide is a one-paper town, the Advertiser. Do you think we're getting a fair go to promote our game in the Advertiser?
1: Uh, no. Um, so, <coughs> there's, no, um, there's no dedicated or even really part-time football journalist in, in, uh, employed by the Advertiser anymore. Um, I can't remember the last article we had in the paper. Yeah, um, uh, and that's the changing landscape of... I mean, they've been making people redundant for for years and there was a a round of redundancies um, mid this year which removed um, Rob Greenwood and and Fout Migliaccio as the the football journalists. Um, It's obviously hurt us, it's hurt grassroots football, it's hurt other sports as well that are in the same boat. So we have taken it upon ourselves to not rely on the paper anymore to communicate our stories so that's why um, you would have seen us being much more proactive and it's all that more important to have a coach and a football director that are present in terms of the media because we can't rely on hard copy newspapers to, to communicate exclusively anymore. Um, there's obviously value that's been lost in that because I think the paper is much more relevant in SA than what it is in perhaps other other states. Um, but it's just meant that we've had to change our approach and, and do our own promoting. Um, uh, I don't know whether it will change in the future, but we'll, we'll make sure that we're doing enough that it doesn't need to.
0: Now, sir, down here, I know you were desperate to ask a question, and if I was in your position, I'd be very upset if I didn't get to answer it. So you can have the last one, OK? Thank you,
11: Jared. Good evening, team. Uh, Dave Wilson's my name, and I've been a member of the club since day one in the NSL days. So I've seen Carl kick off and had a great memories of that as well. And going back to engaging the membership and the fan base... Um, I know back in the NSL days, uh, a lot was put into local schools where free tickets are given away to the, to the kids at schools. Now, most kids will drag their parents along to the game, all right, because I go home, Dad, I want to go see this, you know, that's happened to me. I hated the game of soccer or football, all right, until my son dragged me along to that first game ever since. I've been involved in the game, especially with the grandkids now as well. Um, so it'd be a great, great way, I think, of engaging people back into it is going back through the schools uh, rather, rather than at, at football clubs as well, don't get me wrong, but I think the schools, you, you're going to get a lot of fan base coming back into it because it was a club for, for the community as it originally marketed as that. Um, the other thing was uh, I've been all through the supporter groups as well over the years, over the decades, and um, I think I'm the oldest financial member now of the Red Army, I think. and um, But I was there with the original, uh, the stand and then the gate, and uh, now the Red Army. But I remember uh, Nathan, your father one day, uh, came down, it was in the, in, the, uh, the, in the gate days of the supporter group, and he came down pre-game and stood in the middle of the, middle of the group and had a beer and said, how do you think we should play the game today? <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> and I, I think that's great fan engagement. And you don't, you don't see that a lot these days, and people like your, your Nick Biancos and your Gordon Pickards, and uh, you're Rob Gerards, so I remember you know, Gordon and, and still Nick to the day. Um, I still see him at the games, and he comes down for a beer and, and says g'day. He's got that fan engaged, engaged, the people around him, and I think it'd be good to see like how... Um, perhaps you know, our chairperson coming out and meeting the, the the membership because a lot of people wouldn't know who Vanderpol is, right? They wouldn't know if he fell over him, right? And all they know is, is some guy that just, you know, in between the clubs just he's back got there. All the goods. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. But it'd be good to get him involved in it and, you know, perhaps, you know, even come down to like the, the Brobson Hotel and have a drink with the Red Army, you know? And I mean, you know, I remember Gordon Pickard in his day. Uh, we went over to Perth for the NS, one of the NSL semi-final we all travelled like, over in a bus and, it was, you know, and none of us had a shower for four days and all the rest of it. I remember Gordon Pickard uh, at the time gave us uh, two grand in cash to, to spend on the bus on the way back across Nullarbor at the pub. So it would be good to get that fan engagement back into it and especially Nick Bianco as well. We went to Melbourne for a, for a might get mobile as well. Uh, I remember he came to the pub that we were drinking at and put two grand on the bar. Now, you know, it, it engages the fan, it engages the so membership. Sir, is there a question? <laughs> so, 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 yeah, so... so. <laughs> the game is
0: about to start at Cooper's. We need to hurry no, up.
11: <laughs> so, so it'd be good just to actually probably, you know, engage the community again by getting back out the community and introducing yourselves as actually who you are and because uh, a lot of people wouldn't know, uh, well, you know, what's involved in Adelaide United. Yeah, you... Yeah. Aside from the bar tab funding, you know, I think the,
1: the premise of what you say is correct. I'm interested that you went from hating the sport to a 17-year member based on one game. Um, we can maybe involve you in some of our marketing activities. But the, I think what you probably speak to is, is more of a symptom of what we spoke about earlier with our football program is that it became a little bit... Elitist isn't the right word, but sport has become too professional, I think, in terms of its... its a sterile and every, you know, Carl can't go over and have a, I'm not sort of advocating for him to have a beer, but you know, coach on match day, you know, we can't do media with players on match day because it'll ruin their focus and all this sort of stuff. And we need to, uh, to, uh, and there's elements of truth with certain aspects of that, but we need to get back to where we were. This was a community club. It was born... From the South Australian Soccer Federation and all the local clubs coming together, saying we effectively need a state representation. When we you know West Adelaide first, and then Adelaide City went under, and that whole presentation at the start was kind of basically saying we've we've lost that a little bit, um, and it can be as simple as what you suggest. And you know, Bruce went um, went uh, down there on um, the grand final uh, replay at the Brompton um uh not that we're advocating for this but we actually had um a commercial function on the same night and we made sure that we didn't skip that we didn't skip the red army function because we'd committed to it because that was important you know so that sort of maybe speaks to the attitude we need to have now and it could be with the red army it might be just with you know general members or fans um we need to be more accessible and approachable and if you're, I'm not, sort of again, advocating you come in the office, but when people send emails and they're constructive and they have real questions, we'll try to answer them. And if they're directed at me or Bruce, you know, we generally respond. You know, So um, we're not going to... You know, Carl's not going to be there at half-time you know, in the um, active bay, but... um you're pretty good, though. Yeah. <laughs> he was. It's, uh, it's, uh, it probably speaks to a lot of the discussions we've had today about needing to be more engaged with, with our supporter base. That's
0: the reason we're doing tonight as well, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, Can you please put your hands together for Phil, Nathan, Bruce, Carl and Ivan. It's, uh, as I said at the start... Who would have thought that the season starts in about two weeks' time at Cooper's Stadium on the 3rd of January. We we're very excited. But there's a lot to happen beforehand, and we can't stress enough that Saturday at 9 o'clock at Cooper's is the coming together of the A-League and W-League sides they are going to be training together. you have an opportunity to uh, hear more from the players and the staff. Um, we are going to be COVID safe as well, so we appreciate your understanding with that. But I think Nathan was outstanding at the start, saying that obviously the vision of the club – On the field and off the field, more importantly, is really important as we go on this journey together. So thank you. This is what we we spoke about earlier today, that the round one, or our first home game especially, is a thank you to everybody for sticking with us, being members, supporters uh, through a challenging year which has affected everybody individually in so many different ways, but the fact you're still here supporting the Adelaide United Football Club is so important. Um, thank you for your time tonight. We will give you access to this a little bit later on. We just have to, we'll have to see if uh, we need to edit anything out. Maybe your question, sir, because it went for half an hour, but it was brilliant. Um, thank you so much, ladies and gentlemen, and go the Reds.